Justin's in stereo two weeks in a row. Yeah, your audio quality uh, was really good last week. What did, what was the big difference? What did you do there? Using the microphone as a microphone and not, not just as a prop, as a prop, I okay, guess. So I think what, <laughs> what ended up we, happening what was did we that find out? <laughs> I think I utilized, was ended up using my laptop spe- uh, microphone in lieu of the actual microphone that I have. Additionally, so. the one <laughs> the one I was plugged kinda... in all these yeah. all these yeah. weeks, or at least since you got your new laptop, you had this thing <laughs> plugged in. You're speaking into it, yeah. And the whole time, it's your laptop mic that's recording you, and the audio quality was yes, that was, was okay, was, but it was, was not the greatest. But still. <laughs> On a go forward, this should be a lot better. Yeah. Hi, you're listening to the Just Some Musings podcast with Justin Lee and Marcus Muse. We are two advisors with CG Wealth Management in Alberta who finish off our weeks connecting over Zoom to discuss what's on our minds. This week, we're having a timely conversation about year-end tax planning. Along with this podcast, I've provided a summary and links to more info at muhs.ca slash tax 2023. As always, this podcast is for information purposes only, in this case to highlight tax strategies or implications which may or may not apply to the end listener. Generally, you should seek the advice of a licensed tax professional before applying any such strategies. Please enjoy our largely unedited and unfiltered discussion for the week. So, yeah, last night I had a soccer game and what I've tried to do now is um, book a massage because your and my health benefits also have a health spending or paramedical type expenses, right? And, and so typical with other like paramedicals, November, December, people just start booking air all the time to, in order to get a massage, whether they really need it or not, right? Or maybe it's, you know, stressful, they get out there, they get a, a relax, relaxation type massage or something. But nevertheless, I went for a massage today and um, my I'm pooped, my body is pooped. I, it's like, they just worked on me and it was good because I know I'm gonna be sore tonight and tomorrow morning. Right, but you know, working out some of the stiffness and the tightness that I had in my calves and my and in my legs. So, I don't think I'm going to be able to use all of my um, paramedical benefits by the end of this year, considering you know Christmas, you know, and, and the time off around that. But uh, do you utilize now that it's getting close to the end of the year? Do you utilize all your benefits or try to max them out? As a uh, a wearer of glasses like you, I have never had any problem using up my health spending account. Um, Mm, So I know they give the option of having some of your money diverted to a wellness spending account. And and I think people who really benefit from that are people who don't uh, spend, you know, 500 bucks on new new frames and lenses or whatnot. But uh, Mm -hmm. this year I did get new frames, lenses, uh, regular glasses, and I got some new uh, some new sunglasses. So. If anything, I might get some prescription ski goggles in the new year. So I've okay. used up on my health spending account this yeah. year. I'll probably use that for uh, something next year. It is interesting to see though, if if you do go for a massage uh, or um, you know any other benefits, whether it's um, homeopathy or osteopathy or um, podiatrist. I'm trying to think psychologist, right? A number of those things. Um, like yeah november it's seasonal at the end of the year they get slammed with appointments because everyone's trying to use these benefits before the end of the year when it's probably better if you're pre-planning this or like being mindful come january for 2024 for example that let's schedule and have those appointments you know over the course of the entire Mm -hmm. year right as opposed to just all in november or in 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 december right so um i think a massage would be useful um, in february and not just november Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, yeah, maybe a, a pair of ski goggles for yourself or, or maybe um, touching base with your 
chiropractor, right? For example, you know, in the spring, in summer. After so, skiing. After skiing, yeah, when you when you fall down the <laughs> slopes or whatever, what have you, when you're sore from a day on yeah. a hard day on the slopes, right? So, um, but yeah, I, I'm I'm gonna struggle using mine up. I probably should have used more of mine in the summer, mm-hmm. but then I'm like, eh, summertime, you know, I don't want to go sit inside a studio for an hour, and you know, who knows? So, lesson for me. I have outdoor soccer too, obviously, right? I can I can book some massages and, and some therapeutic stuff um, after those, not just in indoor season, right? So, um, but yeah, that, I think that gets into some of the things we want to talk about this week or in this episode is because we are near, very much near approaching December, um, it's probably a good situation, a, a good time to kind of think about what we can do to be optimize some things, some plans, some programs, some, some, some contributions perhaps. And also mm-hmm. maybe more than anything else, prepare for 2024 so that i'm not running around trying to get massages in in november right and maybe get some <laughs> other things on the financial perspective uh, done earlier in the year as well so I'm, I'm not scrambling if you know for example in november december to get my charitable contributions done for example right so yeah lots to talk about so it's uh, yeah. it's actually black friday today black friday afternoon for some reason <laughs> there's a hockey game on at one o'clock in the afternoon and the oilers right. are up to nothing now connor or nugent hopkins just scored this is oh. by Connor McDavid. Oh, there you go. Um, so we'll see if they can hold in this time. But um, but yeah, um, Black Friday last year. I remember last year we were talking about this uh, buying uh, buying games on Steam. Uh, yes, you just bought I remember Monkey that. Island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I that's did, right. Yeah. I did end up buying. I did end up buying Monkey Island a month or so ago. It was on sale, and it was, it was yeah. pretty fun. You know, it was classic uh, adventure game style. Yeah. Um, you know me. I'm I'm so old school. I don't play any of the new games. I have a PlayStation Three. <laughs> That's the newest game console I have. And on my PC, I play all sorts of old games. So what I bought this morning on special for only twelve bucks on Steam, the entire X-wing collection. It's uh, the Whoa, original X-wing, X-wing special edition, Tie Fighter, yeah. Tie X-wing versus yeah. Tie Fighter, and X-wing Alliance. Wow. And what I learned is that there's there's some kind of a mod you can install. They basically. Uh, it mods X-Wing Alliance to be to upgrade the graphics to a little bit higher resolution or so. Okay. And and then someone recreated the original TIE Fighter game in better graphics. So I'm looking forward to figuring that stuff out. Hopefully was it just it on like a, a 386 or 486 Prosonic? I used to play computer. TIE Fighter on my 486 <laughs> SX. And, you know, my buddy, uh, he had a 486 DX that had 33 megahertz speed instead of 25 megahertz. Slow and down. It ran Slow so much, down. Whoa. It, ran, it ran so much smoother on his computer. Yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, I might, uh, I'm probably gonna have to buy some, uh, a micro SD card. Um, my, my kid's Nintendo Switch, uh, cannot play the Pokemon game that they got for their birthday back in August because there just wasn't enough memory. And I didn't, we didn't really want to delete the older games or the older Pokemon game and, and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So, um, I think I'm going to just buy some memory, some commodified memory. Um, I haven't really looked elsewhere. I believe... Angie is looking at, or my wife is looking at some uh, some early Christmas shopping, perhaps this weekend, mm-hmm. or uh, or even today. But um, I myself, I'm only probably thinking about uh, memory. So, you know, something I realized every year, I drop a bunch of money on Black Friday or Cyber Monday on uh, on stuff on Amazon. There's always those lightning deals, and you mm-hmm. know, occasionally I get something good or something I actually need. So often I buy some crap that I don't even really need. Yes, I mean. Like a, a dash cam that just ends up sitting in my glove compartment <laughs> installed, that, that kind of stuff. And yeah. and yesterday or a couple of days ago, I, I was buying something on on Amazon. They've had the lightning deals all week. Everything that's on special, it always seems. I get I'm disappointed when I get it when I see the quality. 
Mm-hmm. And I was going to buy this knife set. There was this knife set that had a lightning deal, $99, and it said regular price, $150. And it looked like a really nice Japanese knife set, Damascus steel, you know, with the wavy lines in it. And after I bought it, I, I kind of thought about it. A, do I need knives? I have enough knives. Uh, B, is this really, is it actual Damascus? And I looked at the description again, and I read the description, and it's all in completely broken English. <laughs> That's when you realize it's not from Japan. And, uh, and it even stated in there that the Damascus was fake. It was just basically printed on. And then I, I canceled it. And luckily, to, uh, Amazon, if you uh, cancel within a certain period of time, you can just have it taken off your order. So I got it taken off. And, uh, and I, and I kind of realized, that, do I really have to look at all these lightning deals? And just because something is there, buy it. Because, you know, you see it. It's such a great deal. This knife set, you know, listed for $99, regular price $150. Is regular price really $150? Or mm-hmm. is it just sort of a trick mm-hmm. to get me to buy it? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this year I'm not doing as much. I did buy a few things. I bought another battery pack. <laughs> those are things that are always on special dash cams. Uh, those those battery packs, right? The, to charge your phone off of. Mm-hmm. Uh, security cameras. I bought. I did buy once. I bought a uh, a Blink camera just so that I can have an extra camera in my house that I can tune into if I want to see. Actually, what I'm planning to do is put it in my basement just so I can see if uh, there's a light flashing on my on my water heater. Okay. Uh, this happened to me last year. The thing kind of went on the fritz because it was so cold out that the uh, uh, the exhaust got frozen shut. But yeah, I kept the, the purchases to a minimum, I think. I, I do hope to enjoy uh, X-Wing sometime this weekend. Dug out my, my old joystick out of the basement so I can play flight <laughs> simulators. <laughs> Next week's episode is going to be a gaming review, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You with, me with Pokemon, you with uh, X-Wing TIE Fighter. I'll let you know how it goes with the uh, the install. I mean, that could be an awesome deal if you can get that game. If you've never played it, the original TIE oh, Fighter years, was... years, years, years ago. Off, you know, you play TIE Fighter, right? Computer. Uh, yeah, I think that was, that was the one. Or maybe it was I, X-Wing. I wanted to. Anyway, nevertheless, yes. They're both great. But I think TIE Fighter had the best, one of the best Star Wars stories. Because, like, you're playing through campaigns, and there's stories mm-hmm. going on. I mean, you're, you're playing TIE Fighter. You're basically one of the Imperials. You're a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. there's stuff that happens. And, you know, suddenly the, the, the Admiral that you're, that, that, you know, that's the leading your group, I guess, um, revolts and joins the Rebels. And then you got to hunt him down because he's a Rebel now. <laughs> and then later on in the game, you know, you kind of join, I join, them, you join yeah. Rebels at some point. Or you sort of join a break-off group and suddenly you're fighting the Imperials. But uh, it's just a great story. Uh, should we get to the topic on hand this week? Uh, I thought that was the topic. Planning? That is the topic, right? We're we're, we're talking first, about year and stuff, and and so yeah, yeah I mean, first, little... first get those Black Friday buys out of the way, and uh, <laughs> and then we talk uh, year and tax planning. So, how often have are, like in some of the things that we may we may speak about for the next little bit, next little bit? Um, have you been, uh, had f- found some real like uh, adoption or things that like oh every year this is something that comes up this is something that comes up because like most of us we'll have mm-hmm. maybe some New Year's resolutions we'll have a budget for the year things go on the wayside for example and then by the end, you know, and then towards the end of the year you know it is what it is a lot of our financials are based off of like the calendar tax year right our taxes mm-hmm. are based off of it you know we always are, are filing by you know in the in the spring our rsp contributions are always going to be at the end of february right sort of idea so we we have to work with the calendar year in, in a lot of ways right um and and so when we get to november december before the mad holiday rush and and things get distracting and whatnot what are some things that you've been able to talk about or bring up uh, regularly because they are things that come up uh, with your clients and, and in the conversations that you have um mm-hmm. over the years well the big one that comes up at this time of year is tax loss selling or uh, that's tax probably the key harvesting. one for me right harvesting mm-hmm. yeah and uh 
Um, yeah, and maybe pushing forward or delaying capital gains taxes as well, right? Um, but yeah, speak a little bit about the capital loss har um, harvesting. Yeah, so ta yeah, tax loss selling, capital loss harvesting, whatever you want to call it. Um, selling always... some losers, yeah. <laughs> Every year we get uh, we get a little uh, PDF sent to us uh, on the topic. I think it's a public document, right? I can share this Typically, on our show notes. Yeah, and and a lot of other you know firms they'll they'll mm -hmm. look and say what were the over the last eleven months or year to date what have been some of the biggest losers, right? And what are things that might be worth looking at to um, rebalance or even strategically maintain the same exposure but in a, in a different vehicle, which is completely allowable, right? So exactly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, these lists do come up uh, for uh, for us uh, for people like ourselves for the public too right but so we'll share it, it. it allows we'll us share to, it in yeah, the show notes yeah it allows us to target and look at some things that we can use we can do to mm -hmm. uh, uh yeah minimize taxation uh while still maintaining a certain asset allocation so some basics on taxation of capital gains um i think most people know this that so you pay tax on capital gains outside of any registered plan so in your taxable non-registered investment account if you have a capital gain when you sell the investment you are basically crystallizing that capital gain and you have to declare it on your taxes and you pay, you pay basically include half of the amount of the capital gain as uh, your taxable income for the year. So effectively, you pay half your marginal tax rate, but you know, in, in actual, uh, I guess technically, you are taking half of that gain and adding it as your top level income on your on your tax return. Mm -hmm. If you have a capital loss, losses offset capital gains. So a couple of things can happen. You have losses and gains in a year. If you have both, one can offset the other, and you don't owe any tax if they're if they're equal. Mm -hmm. um, you may have situations where you have capital gains one year and then the next year you have a capital loss. It gets a little bit tricky there, but you could potentially apply that loss over to, by basically pushing it back, I think, a certain number of years, right? Three. So up to three, year, three years, yep. Yeah. I usually don't recommend that because that's assuming you don't have a capital gain in the future. You can use that loss against. If you have a capital loss this year, a net capital loss, that carries forward indefinitely effectively. So mm -hmm. it uh, basically gets reported on your notice of assessment. The next year you can, if you have a gain next year, you can apply that loss against that gain. Now what happens a lot is people get capital gains that might be out of their control. They're getting them anyways, and they know they're gonna have a capital gain. It's now November, late November, or you're into mm -hmm. December. You know you have X amount of capital gain for the year. What can we do about it? How can we minimize the tax impact? Sometimes what happens is those capital gains just flow to you from a mutual fund and you have no, you really have no control over that. Within the mutual fund, perhaps the fund manager sold some things and those created capital gains and you're going to get them anyways. Mm -hmm. At this time of year, a lot of fund companies, they report their expected distributions. So if you own mutual funds in a non-registered account, you can inquire with your advisor or call directly to the fund company if you don't have one. Uh, you can find out what, what will the distribution be and what is it made up of capital gains, dividends, et cetera. And then let's say you have this capital gain, you can then go to your portfolio and if there's a stock or something that has a capital loss, you sell it and uh, crystallize that loss and you, you can apply it against that gain. Mm -hmm. So there's, some, there's a bit of complication though from that point on. It's not as easy as simply selling something, getting that loss and then maybe buying it back and, and then you know everything's hunky-dory because it's not. The CRA thinks about these things and the CRA's a little bit, uh, they're a little bit unfair in how they apply their rules because if you sell something that's at a gain and then buy it back, you're paying a capital gains tax. Yes. If you have something that's at a gain and you contribute it to an RSP or you move it into a TFSA, you pay a capital gains tax or mm -hmm. you declare a capital gain essentially. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you have tax, you might, have, you might be able to offset it. But if it's a loss, and let's say you have something at a loss and you move it into a TFSA or an RSP, you don't get that capital loss. You have to sell it to get that capital loss. 
Uh, and then likewise, yeah. if you want to just harvest that loss, you need to sell it. There's something called the superficial loss rule that mm. basically makes it uh, dis disadvantageous to then buy it back within 30 days. Uh, if you buy the same investment back within 30 days, whether in the same non-registered account or if you buy it back in your RRSP after selling it, mm -hmm. uh, that's called a superficial loss. Um, and uh, and that, that basically offsets that, uh, well, nullifies your capital loss then. Yeah, you can't claim that loss anymore. But to your point, you know, what you were alluding to is that, you know, it can, you know, there's some certain mechanics behind it to make sure that, you know, you either wait a full 30 days before you reinvest mm -hmm. in that exact same previous investment or what you could do and, and is that if you still wanted exposure to uh, mm -hmm. that that industry or that sector or even that same type of fund, right? You can invest or purchase on the same day or the next day, what have you, whenever, right? The superficial loss rule, the 30 window does not apply. And um, as long as you buy something different, right? So a classic, you know, let's go a simple example. Um, I'll use a bank because the banks are down. I was going to use that, are yeah. down. Yeah, I was going to say energy because I'm in Calgary. But then this year, some of them, they've been doing reasonably okay. So let's mm -hmm. let's go with uh, Royal Bank. I bought. I had Royal Bank. I bought it in January. It's down a certain number of percent. It's down double digits year to date. And like, you know what? I'm going to take that loss. But instead of buying Royal Bank right away, what you can do is, like, you know what? Maybe I'll buy TD Bank. And mm -hmm. if I buy TD Bank, then I still have exposure to uh, the Canadian financial industry. It's one of the large, one of the two, the, the two largest uh, financial institutions in the country. Um, they both pay a reasonably uh, close yield to each other. It's not quite, it's not exactly apples to apples because their businesses are slightly different, but it's, they're pretty much, you know, the same, the same basket. Mm -hmm. Or you could buy uh, an ETF that uh, in, owns bank stocks. And that would yep. be the same thing. Even though that ETF might own Royal Bank inside of it, it is a it is a different vehicle. It is a different investment. Um, you could even go stretch it further and say, you know, I could buy a preferred share of the bank, or I could buy the bond of the bank, right? And it, it because it's a different investment, um, it is considered, you know, separate and different it's enough. not different enough that it, you're not going to have the superficial loss rule apply. So if you wanted to say, for example, harvest that loss, crystallize that loss in uh, in this example for Royal Bank, what you can then do is say, you know what, I'm gonna buy TD Bank or I'm gonna buy a mutual fund or an ETF that has finance, Canadian financial exposure and I'll buy it using the same money that I, I, I um, took a, as, as part of the disposition. And then I still have exposure should something positive happen between now and January or going forward into the new year. And then by then, in a month's time, if I say, you know what, I don't like this TD thing anymore, I want back to, I want back to Royal Bank, well then you can buy Royal Bank. As long as, you know, again, the superficial mm -hmm. rule then applies to your second choice, right? But we're getting it, you know, a little bit too granular there. So there's definitely ways that you can still do some tax rearrangement uh, in your portfolios or um, um, without uh, attracting uh, and all obviously being on the right side of the rules with the CRA and, and not attracting any potential risk of um, um, non-approval of a, a loss or getting audited or something, something of that nature. And there could be some gray area in, the, in this as well, like... Obviously, let's say you have uh, one mutual fund and uh, you own it in series, whatever, and you sell it and then buy the same fund in a different series. That's not a superficial loss. Mm -hmm. or, sorry, rather, that is a superficial mm -hmm. loss. So I think that's going to be nullified. Um, let's say you own an S&P 500 ETF and you sell it. Let's say you have the iShares, you sell it and you buy the Vanguard. That, I think, is kind of in that gray area. I don't know if you have any experience with clients doing that, Justin. I've, I've never had it, but... Um, no, I mean, uh, and that's an interesting example where it's basically exactly the same underlying holding, uh, but because it's uh, by a different provider, it has a different ticker. Um, it has, yeah, a different symbol that 
you can make that argument, right? And I think there's there you're right. There's a certain gray area. I myself have not um, placed myself or my clients in that situation where it's gray iffy potentially enough that it may have some challenge and so why sort of bother and just buy something a little bit more different right i'm looking up the definition of it it's basically the cra states identical properties are properties that are in the same that are the same in all material aspects Mm -hmm. so that a prospective buyer would not have preference for one over the other that's where you know and I worry you can't always just go by exactly interpretation of the rules. It's mm-hmm. what's the CRA going to interpret it as? Yeah. They might say, you know, they might, there, there might be, I don't, there might be precedents already that disproves what I'm saying, but mm-hmm. it's always possible that they might say that, that, that Vanguard S&P 500 is exact same, has exact same holdings as the iShares S&P 500. So mm-hmm. um, that's, that would be to be seen. Yeah. But, uh, and so, and it, yeah. It, it, it remains, you know, so, but again, you don't have to like, get that close to the boundary or skirt get where you're in the situation where you're splitting hairs why not just absolve absolve or remove yourself from any sort of uh, uncertainty and then just pick something a little you know buy the fund but you know or, or sorry buy you know buy the the broad us you know the um the total index for example as opposed to just the s&p for you right and, and, and because the s&p yeah i think that would be, be enough difference be, yeah, yeah would be would be it's a component of the total index right and but it's not all of it it's not exactly uh, a mirror image of the holdings right so Yep. One interesting thing we can... I was going to say one thing before we forget about the the loss selling and whatnot. There is a date. It has to be completed in the calendar year. And so it's not December 31st. Mm -hmm. And in fact, for this year, 2023, December 30th and December 31st is on a weekend. They're Saturday and Sunday, Mm -hmm. respectively. So right now, we still have what we call T plus two or, you know, trade or transaction plus two, two days. Um, Money market funds, you know, just, you know, different things as well. But essentially, assume that if you are um, uh, in an investment, it's going to take two days afterwards, the day that you buy or sell it for it to settle. Right. So in this case, in this year, 2023, Wednesday, December 27th is the last day you can you can actually do a capital loss sell or because two days later, it's Thursday, Friday. Friday is mm-hmm. the last business day of the year, December 29th. So in order to, for it to settle on the 29th, you have to make that trans, uh, transaction on the Wednesday. So for yep. people like 27th. ourselves, yeah, 20, sorry, sorry, thank you, the 27th, for settlement yep. on the 29th. So, yep. um, you know, Marcus and I would have to be very well or very conscious of those dates as they approach. And um, yeah, I'm sure there's been plenty of situations in the past where um, advisors, individuals who met, right, will assume that, oh, I forgot to make that trade. I make to make that transaction and realize, oh, I actually can't claim it, even though I did it on the 28th or 29th of that year, because it ended up settling on January 2nd, for example. Right. So. Yeah. And the, T, the T plus two uh, settlement made things a little bit simpler, too, because it always was for the longest time for most of my career different in Canada and the U.S. simply because of Boxing Day. Right. Mm-hmm. Because. It used to be often Boxing Day was technically the T plus three day. Yeah. But in Canada, it would have to be like the 24th, mm-hmm. right? Because that would be the yeah. business day before that, if, if that was a weekday. Yeah. So that holiday 25th, that holiday the 26th, yeah. and then 2017, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. So. Uh, I was going to say something else about that, um, the deadlines. I lost it. <laughs> December 27th. That's the one date I think most people, if you are considering this sort of strategy, that's the day mm-hmm. you need. And, and you know, interestingly enough, actually, n- very few people actually wait to the very last day to do that harvesting. Yeah. In fact, harvesting's actually sort of already happened a month ago, right? It might have already happened for the most part. And, and that, that happens a lot. A lot of fund managers, they've already dumped their losers. They want them, A, they want them off of their uh, 
the reports so it doesn't show their losers on there. So they got them off. <laughs> window there. dressing. Plus, exactly, window dressing, and plus, uh, yeah, just to basically uh, declare those uh, those losses. And that's another reason why we get those uh, those PDFs with uh, they list all the worst performers of the year, all the worst performing stocks in the TSX and the S and the in the U.S. markets, to at least either show us, hey, if you own these stocks, maybe there's an opportunity to do some uh, capital loss harvesting. Or two, be prepared that this could be a volatile stock going into the end of the year because a lot of other people might be selling it just for that purpose. And you can not... see it continue to go down even further. Yeah. That's I mean, the markets might go up. I mean, they've been doing pretty decently in, in November. They might continue to do well. We might have this whole Santa Claus rally through to the end of the year, maybe. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. certain stocks will continue to go down if they're at a significant loss because mm -hmm. people will be doing their, their tax loss harvesting of those stocks. Mm -hmm. Um, at the end of the day, if, you're, if you plan is to own that stock for a long period of time, there's, there's nothing you need to worry about because as soon as the harvesting is over, <laughs> the harvesting, um, the culling of the stock, um, <laughs> usually when that's over, suddenly people are buying it based on things like fundamentals again, not because of uh, tax uh, strategy. Yeah. But yeah. That's right. Um, one other thing that I, 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 I bring, it comes up in conversation periodically, um, is the TFSA. So remember with the TFSA is that if you make a withdrawal in a calendar year, you're allowed to recontribute that same withdrawal in a future mm -hmm. year, the next year, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But if you were to do it in this recontribute in the same year, you run the risk of an over contribution if you don't have enough remaining leftover contribution space. This was a real you know stickling point early on in the in the early stages or when the TFSA was first announced and, and utilized. Um, by now the CRA has like zero tolerance on this because there's been plenty mm -hmm. of years and precedents that's been put in place by you know since. But one thing I've brought up with a few folks is that just in case if you think you might have um, you know a high a large expense early in the new year Right, and you may need to require withdrawing from the TFSA. One thing that might just provide a little bit more liquidity or just a little bit of more, you know, flexibility is that maybe you have a family vacation, you don't do it over Christmas break or something. Maybe you do it in the middle of January, right? When all the the rush is gone and it's a little bit quieter, perhaps, right? But you are gonna maybe have to use some money out of the TFSA, right? One thing to consider maybe is to take the money out in December of this year, right? Which then allows you, should you not use the money or not use all the money, or eventually want to recontribute the money back into the account, you can do right away in January of 2024. But if you take the money out in January 2024 for that trip, as an example, you're going to have to wait until 2025 to recontribute that money in again, right? So it's just more of an, like a, a, a timing situation again because of the calendar year that's coming up so close is that if you think you might need some flexibility and required to uh, utilize some of the funds in a TFSA, it might be worth consideration taking some of that money out before the end of the year and then have it in hand you know, it's only a month or two for, you know, really, right? If you think it's that close. And then if you don't use it, put it right back in and there's no penalty. And then you still got the New Year's contribution still to come, right? So, and I'll touch on that re really quickly, but that's something that's come up here and there. Bills might come up too. We got the big holiday bills too that come up in January, February as well. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's pertinent if you're at your limit already with the TFSA. Yes. If you have not that's contributed right. near the near the limit, that doesn't matter. <laughs> that's but, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but for many people, yeah, that's the case. They're at their limits. They want to use it for something else, and uh, this is the time to withdraw. Also, if your plan is to uh, uh, move it somewhere else, uh, you want to move from one institution to another, one way to do that is simply doing a withdrawal at the end of the year and then recontributing it in the new new place in the new year. Yep. That's yep. Uh, another thing that could be done just to save on the transfer fees. That's right. A withdrawal and then a, re a recontribution as opposed to the transfer. That's right. Because every every institution, if you do a transfer, they're charging. They're charging you for everything, but particularly yep, yep. they're charging if something's going out, out the door, right?
So TFSA contribution limit for 2023 yes. was 6,500. What is it for 2024, Justin? It is $7,000. It's the inflation. 7,000. Yeah, a flat 7,000. So inflation, the TFSA contribution limits are based off of, uh, and, and there's an, a certain amount of inflation that's built mm-hmm. in. You know, years ago, it was $5,000. And generally speaking, with the exception of a couple unique years, you know, it was 5,000, eventually went up to 5,500, right? And then went up to 6,000 and 6,500, right? And so, you know, based on inflation, and as, as of we've all experienced, inflation's been quite high the last couple of years. So it hasn't been very long. And, and that that trigger happened that that tipping point occurred so now for 2024 seven thousand dollars is your contribution for the tfsa which brings us for many of our listeners but in general lifetime contributions will now end up being ninety five thousand dollars for those you know who were of 18 at the start of the tfsa but essentially think about that i had a conversation this morning with, with somebody and i talked about how when the tfsa's first came up $5,000, $5,000, what the heck am I going to do with $5,000, right? I'm going to go put it on some high-flying, you know, swing for the swing for the mm-hmm. fences type of investment, mm-hmm. right? But had you been, put, but, but if someone were to say, hey, you can put in $95,000 into this tax-sheltered vehicle, right? That's a, that's a big meatball, right? That's something that is tangible, it's substantial, and it makes sense. It just took a number of years to get to that point. But here we mm-hmm. are, we're almost at $100,000, and when the next, you know, in two years time, it'll be over $100,000 for most adults, right? So it's, it's taken a bit, but like now, like that's, that's, that's a hefty amount of, of sheltering that can be done. So $95,000 for, for those, for many of us in the new year, but yeah, $7,000. So now an interesting perspective as well is that as the TFSA contribution limits increase, it can potentially take away from some of the other contributions in your other accounts, or you just might have to save another $500 from extra savings from what you've done in the past year in order to maximize the TFSA. Yeah, and I mean, if you think about it too, like a couple of spouses could have easily at this point with some growth now over quarter million dollars in their TFSAs combined, yeah. it becomes such a significant part of your net worth. And I mean, now you see the power of it. If you were putting this money, if you were only using your TFSAs to store cash over the last 15 years, is it 15 now, 2009 to 2023? It'll be 15 14, years, yeah. yeah. 2024 makes 15 years of the TFSA. We're gonna have to have an anniversary uh, celebration of some sort. But if you were only using it as a savings account, yeah, you saved some money not paying tax on that interest. But if you were saving this money properly, if you had if you had a financial plan that, that assigned this TFSA as your longest term account and you were investing it in, a, in an aggressive portfolio, whatever that might be, and growing it, compounding it over these 15 years, constantly adding money to it, there's no reason why today you're not at 150,000 with growth if it was aggressive enough, um, maybe more. Um, and, and yeah, uh, and, if you and have a spouse, just or continues partner, to be yeah. Times two. Now you're talking 300,000, and it just continues to become a bigger and bigger piece of the pie. Even if you're um, someone retired who was retired in 2009 already, you might have thought, okay, you know, now why wasn't this around 20 years ago? I only. Yeah, I can put $5,000 of my riff income into it or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you, the goal there should be that by the time you, you know, expect to pass away when you're in your 90s or whenever, whenever, that as much as possible of your net worth is in that TFSA shelter. A, it's not taxed on your death. B, it can bypass your estate going straight to a beneficiary or beneficiaries. Uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, program that uh, uh, most people, I think, are taking advantage of it nowadays. But I remember back in the early days, People just saw it as five thousand dollars in a yeah, savings account. Exactly. Is that going to get me? A, exactly. You know, back then, it was half a percent interest. I had the same mentality. Financial crisis, for yeah. sure. Yeah, I wish in hindsight, like had I. It's funny because <laughs> I was saying my children's T R E S P, for example, right? It hasn't been fifteen years for them, 
right? And they too started off at like $2,500 a year, 3000 with the CESG, mm-hmm. with the grant. Mm-hmm. And then times it by two, you're looking at approximately $5,000. Same number, same quantity and magnitude as the TFSH contributions. But like, you know, having invested in the RESP differently with a slightly different mindset, having learned that over the number of years, right? Like the, the RESP is actually doing quite well relative to the TFSA. Because I, mm-hmm. I, you know, I swung for the fences in the first few years, and uh, you know, you never get that money back. You don't get that contribution space again, right? Yeah. So, and you're talking about another account type that has a year-end deadline, and most most accounts yes. have a calendar year deadline. So the TFSA, again, if you want to max it out, you, you you'd want to put that money in before the end of the year, or do your withdrawal before the end of the year, whatever. RESP, that's when a lot of parents are more concerned about about maxing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can carry forward your contribution room, but only one year at a time. Like you mm-hmm. can contribute one year at a time. Uh, so if you want to keep that RESP, you know, topped up each year, your deadline is December 31st. Um, or please call Justin or me before, you know, maybe December 15th, because, you know, we don't have to deal with RESP <laughs> contributions at Christmas time. Um, the other the other big new one is the uh, FAHISA that we talked about a couple episodes ago. And this is an important one. If this is something yes. that you yes. qualify for, you need to open it before December 31st if you want to be able to, um, you know, take full advantage of your contribution room as much of it as possible. Because your contribution room only builds as long as it's open. It's not based on number of years that you're eligible or whatever. So even if you don't have the $8,000 in hand right now, uh, you need to open it this year so that next year, maybe next year you get some money from your parents or whatever to buy your home. If you do, that if you if you are fortunate to to get to get something like that, the next year you'll be able to carry forward to this year's contribution room and do a $16,000 contribution, but not if you don't open that Fahisa this year. So that's an important one. That's got a pe- people that hopefully that word gets around about that and people, if, if they qualify, uh, take advantage of that. So let's look at a really extreme example. Let's say you open up a Fahisa, right, on December 20th or even the 26th, 7th, sorry, 27th, right? The difference of opening up the Fahissa on December 27th and January 3rd is the ability to contribute $8,000 to a, your account or $16,000, all mm-hmm. just in a matter of a week, a week and a half, right? So mm-hmm. that calendar year, that delineation makes a, no, a significant uh, a difference in, in a situation such, as, and particularly with the, the new account and the relative availability of the FHSA, right? And so if it is something even, you know, that you think I can't even contribute money yet for 2023 to your point, Marcus, is that maybe in 2024, you'll come across or you'll redirect some savings into that instead. And so then you can work towards a $16,000 contribution limit for January, February going forward 2024, as opposed to just eight. And Mm -hmm. again, multiply that by two, should you have a spouse or a partner, now you're looking at $32,000, right? As opposed to just 16, right? Two times eight versus two times 16. So it multiplies, right? And it's, you know, in, in this case, because it's extreme, a matter of 10 business days can make a significant difference. Totally, yeah. The other big deadline that a lot of our clients, um, especially if we have older clients, uh, might uh, need to uh, be mindful of is conversion of RSPs to RIFs. If you're waiting till the absolute deadline, the absolute deadline is December 31st of the year in which you turned 71. So if that's you, uh, usually we're on top of it because our, I think our back office, they won't let us allow that to be. You know, once you're over 71, you cannot have an RSP anymore in your name. So we're usually on top of that and getting in touch with our clients if that, that's, if that applies to them. The triggers happen, but, yeah, uh, the plagues happen, yeah. Yeah, but listeners might have accounts at a discount brokerage or at a bank where they're not as, as uh, uh, 
the response isn't is, isn't there. They're not. It's, yeah, it's, they're not it's, out it's, it's, it's it's incumbent on the account holder to manage or take care of that. Yeah. So yeah, uh, December thirty first, and then again, that's the absolute deadline by you know by law or whatever. Don't wait till December thirty first to do that because a lot of us we don't like to we don't like to work really hard between Christmas and New Year's. <laughs> get it done. Get it done by December fifteenth. Same thing too if you have a RIF and the RIF needs to have an annual minimum payment to come out that has to come yeah. out before December thirty first, obviously and. Usually, what I do with my clients' rifts when we're setting it up, when we're setting it up to have the rift payment come out as late as possible, it's December fifteenth that we set it at, so that if there's any complications, there's you know some days to take care of that. It's not all happening at the very last minute. Um, and then, of course, our RSPs. Or sorry, yeah. did you have another point about rifts? Go on, nope. Go straight into the RSPs. I'll so talk yeah, about RSPs. Yeah, the government CRA gives us a little bit of a leeway there 60 days into the new year. That's obviously to give uh, people time to at least get a glance at their T4s and start their tax planning uh, so that they know how much they're earning in the year before they uh, before they make that contribution, which is meant to mm-hmm. deduct from their from their taxes, from their taxable income. Um, so that is the reason why the RSP contribution deadline is, is February 28th, 29th or March 1st, based on what day of the year that happens to fall on or what day of the week it falls on. Uh, it's 60 days. Is that that's what the uh, CRA is giving us for RSP contributions? Mm-hmm. Uh, one comment I want, or one subject I wanted to bring up as well, um, is charitable giving. But also um, in in, yeah. in conjunction with that is is the alternative minimum tax. So there's a bit of a boogeyman. I mean, it is like the alternative minimum minimum tax. There's changes that are going to be happening into the new year. If I can speak about myself and my clients, this is not really going to be all that eligible. It is going to be relevant for a number of people, for sure. You may have some experience with that, Marcus. But in short, is that if you have had situations where you have had to pay a a minimum, you've gone into the alternative minimum calculation to pay a minimum tax, um, then please reach out and have a specific conversation about that before before the end of the year, um, before holidays and whatnot, right? But for the most part, um, the, the issue with the alternative minimum tax was that people were, you know, you had to be making over $173,000. And not only that, it's not just regular income. You were doing it mm-hmm. in a matter that was tax minimal in some ways. So much of that income may have come from... Um, deduction, capital gains, dividends, uh, non-refundable tax credits. This is when your accountant's really getting into things that are if, if very you're, complicated. If, if you're not taking advantage yeah. of every tax deduction and tax credit in the book in the same yeah. year, you're probably going to be hit by alternative minimum tax. Yeah. If you're just doing a little bit here and there, it's not going to be an issue. For I most think for people, the most part, going to matter, no. Yeah, and I think for the most part, even the AMT, it's not so much a penalty like you no. have to pay this tax because you, your taxes are otherwise too low. It's more for the CRA's purpose or for the government's really to smooth out income because yep. whatever you're paying an alternative minimum tax in one year becomes a yes. credit in a future year. In a future year. So it smooths yes. out. Yes. When, right. when they first announced those changes, I think the, the big example, like the most obvious example is let's say you have a, uh, you have a, a cottage or cabin uh, you know, yep. resort property and you have a massive capital gain on it. Uh, obviously mm-hmm. not here in Alberta, but let's say out, out east somewhere, you've got this huge capital gain. And in order to offset that capital gain, you make a you donate a, you make a huge donation of uh, of stocks to a charity, and those mm-hmm. stocks have themselves a capital gain which you're avoiding by donating mm-hmm. directly to a charity. We'll get into that in just a second. But if you're doing all that, and and let's say we're talking it's an amount in the hundreds of thousands, um, you're going to be hit with annual minimum tax probably, mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's kind of where it, where it, where it applies. So I think most most of my clients even it's not going to yeah. apply to. It's just when when, you're, when you have those big one time things that will usually affect it. Yeah. Um, 
where yeah. it came up in conversation uh, with me was that in, in my case was that um, somebody was doing an in-kind contribution because it's the end of the year you know you see the the kettles out there in the malls and places the Salvation Army mm-hmm. kettles you'll also see food hampers and donations at school and campaigns that are happening blood drives everything you know we talked about this before be generous right and um, and and so the conversation was about oh maybe I should upfront uh, some extra contributions uh, 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 or sorry um, in-kind uh, donations uh, in 2023 because I don't want to you know minimize I, I want the full value of it to be credited as opposed to in 2024 where that in-kind donation actually will be exposed to a certain amount of capital gains um, having that analysis of conversation yes it was not relevant because they were paying reason you know proportionate individual income tax so that the AMT was not uh, was not relevant in that case but the question was like oh maybe the, the, the worry was that oh I'm gonna front load my donations this year um, because I want to you know do it I want the full value so again certain situation but it gets to the point about donations and charitable giving and again mm-hmm. calendar year if there's if you're looking at some of the math and you're figuring out like how much more you know I might want to get a certain deduction or I'm feeling extra generous this year maybe I'm just gonna front end it um, Again, by the end of this year, have that in-kind donation done, have that direct, you know, after-tax dollar donation done as well, whatever form, and you're going to capture it for the 2023 tax year as opposed to, you know, down the road. So just a reminder, it's time of year to be generous, especially, exactly, right? Yeah. And and um, there are various ways to be efficient about your giving, to be extra efficient for everybody involved, maybe not the CRA, but for everybody who you, you, you care for and the, and the organization the, you, you want to benefit. And um, yeah, speak to uh, one of us if you want those details and to be able to maximize that, contrib- that, that donation. Let's talk about some of the basics on, on charitable contributions because yeah. that is another big one that people want to look at doing before the end of the tax year, before the end of the calendar year. Mm-hmm. Um, so the very basics on, on charitable contributions, the strategies now, and, and I touched on this last episode a little bit, talking about the uh, changes here in Alberta, uh, strategy-wise mm-hmm. now kind of changes based on whether you're an Alberta resident or outside of Alberta. So first of all, let's, let's back up and, and look at what is a charitable tax credit. So you donate money to a registered charity, you get a tax credit um, based on the amount uh, or based on the amount that you've done over the course of the year. The first... $200 that you contribute in a year count for a certain amount of tax credit and then everything in excess of 200 counts for a different amount. Now prior to this year I would have said you get a low amount for the first 200. So I'll tell you what the rules were in Alberta last year and it's similar in, in the rest of Canada just different tax rates. Typically that first $200 qualified for a tax credit roughly equal to the taxes owed at the lowest marginal tax rate. So in Alberta, you used to get 25% tax credit on the first $200. Likewise, if you earn less than 50-something thousand, your marginal tax rate was 25%, you know, 10% plus 15% in Alberta. Uh, then on contributions in excess of $200, you were getting the equivalent of the highest marginal tax rate, uh, which was for, uh, well, and actually in Alberta it was a little bit higher. It was 50% in Alberta because the Alberta government increased the provincial mm-hmm. part of the tax credit. And if you were earning income in the very highest tax bracket, which is if you earn in excess of 350000 I think, or so, it's, it's up there now. With inflation, it's probably gone even higher. Uh, then you were getting an extra 4%. You were getting 54% back. So again, those are, that's what the situation was like in Alberta last year. 25% tax credit for the first 200 you contributed, a huge 50% or 54% on the excess that you contributed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's for spouses. That's, you know, for either one has that $200 and then the excess. 
So in all provinces outside of Alberta, it's similar. It's similar, similar rates, a low rate and a high rate. So it makes sense in those provinces if two spouses have a bunch of charitable contributions throughout the year for them to consolidate them on one spouse's tax return so that only one spouse is getting hit by that lower contribution uh, tax credit for the first 200 and then all the rest gets the excess amount. Or another thing that was done previously or that I've done personally uh, in the past is combined the tax credits or sorry, combine the contributions for multiple years and claim them all at once. So again, that I'm only having $200 applied once and then a larger amount gets the higher tax credit. So now in Alberta, as of this year, they have basically created a super tax credit for the first $200 contribution. They want to encourage everybody to, uh, to donate at least a small amount. And I think what this stems from is the, the political uh, tax credit, political contribution tax credit was always 75% in Alberta for as long as I can remember. So if you make a small political donation, you got 75% back. But at the same time, you're only getting 25% back on a small charitable contribution, which made no sense. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it makes sense when you realize it's politicians that create the rules, right? They so, want more uh, money, of course. Yeah, follow the incentive, so, yeah. So yeah, I think this this provincial government changed that and said this should be equal, at least on mm-hmm. that first two hundred dollars. So now mm-hmm. in Alberta, the mm-hmm. first two hundred dollars gets seventy five percent, and on the excess, you're getting a pretty decent fifty or fifty four percent. So, yeah. for those spouses now, it makes no sense to combine. It actually makes sense if if a couple of spouses have a bunch of contributions, or let's say you know Justin, you and your wife, you do most of the contributions, and uh, someone comes along and asks for a two hundred dollar donation, but your wife hasn't made any donations for the year. Mm-hmm. It makes sense to have her make that two hundred dollar donation because she's going to get three quarters of that money back, whereas you'd only get half that money back. Bigger bang. That's right. Yep. Yeah. So now in Alberta, it makes sense to split them up and make sure both spouses have at least two hundred dollars that they're claiming. And, and then yeah. the rest can be all in one spouse's contribution. And it no longer makes sense to split up those contributions over the years. You know, try to really everyone now with these rates. Incorporate the adult sense. children. Incorporate the adult children Incorporate too. your adult kids. And I mean, everyone listening, if you don't usually make donations, and that's okay. You know, people have different, you know, different uh, budgets and, and needs for money. but and, and different ways to volunteer too, right? Like that too, yeah. actual hours, right? But consider now your after tax, your after tax cost that donation is much lower. You know, if mm-hmm. last year if you donated two hundred dollars, it cost you one hundred and fifty dollars after tax. This year you donate two hundred dollars, it costs you fifty dollars. The charity still gets the two hundred dollars minus maybe credit card uh, fees and whatnot. But uh, if you really want that 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 charity to get some money, you know, um, make, make that mm-hmm. make those donations, especially this time of year. Tuesday is Giving Tuesday. You know, the day after Cyber Monday, Giving Tuesday. Um, so if you're listening, obviously when this, when this episode publishes, that was yesterday, but you can still make a donation before the end of the year. Yeah. So yeah, do it. <laughs> I would say a lot part? of these topics, a lot of these things that you and I have been and talking about, um, are largely sort of accounting. There's, they're accounting things. They are obviously intertwined with, uh, with wealth management, with philo- philanthropic goals, uh, with your mm-hmm. financial plan and things of that nature. So of course you and I are not, you know, CPAs. We're not accountants uh, by designation. Um, we're not technically um, licensed to speak on about explicitly specific, you know, things on a tax basis. But we do have to be aware, and we do have to know some of the rules so that we can help nudge, we can help encourage some things, some mm-hmm. practices, some behaviors. Right. So while everything you and I have talked about is essentially true, right? we're not accountants, right? And 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 so 
of course, have that conversation with a tax professional. If you don't have a tax professional, then then maybe yeah, you have to re- rely on on somebody like Marcus and I a little bit more to help guide that knowledge and but guide that process. And if you do your own taxes, particularly so, right? But um, we it, it just gives a nice little example that we we you know there's more to um, financial planning. There's more than uh, on investments, uh, allocations, things of that nature than just that. We have to incorporate uh, your tax situation, of course. So we have to in, uh, take into account the types of accounts mm-hmm. that you're using, maximize charitable contributions maximize minimizing um, you know the uh, taxation that you get uh, income from say uh, a corporation or a numbered company right so we have to be able to speak about this and um, a lot of these things end up sort of sounding accounting like right or tax like yeah. right um, but there are other things you know like the FHSA for example yes there's tax benefits but there's also you know the, the planning you know purpose the intention of that plan of that account is to help you buy a home Right, it's part of your overall goals, your overall financial plan, your future. So, um, yeah. So I want to say, take a little. We we probably have to take a little. You know, tell us. I think probably. You know, take a little bit of a grain mm-hmm. of salt, but ensure that at least know that recognize that there is knowledge uh, um, behind some of this, even though we're not accountants per se. That's a good point. I think I mentioned in the disclaimer of the show too. Of course, uh, I was th- I was talking to a professional, <laughs> and you know, you might ask, you know, what what's the point of talking to you, you or you know Justin or Marcus if if they say talk to an accountant yeah. or talk to a lawyer about legal stuff? You know, the thing is, like you mentioned, we we uncover potential needs for things or look at the big picture. Um, you know, yeah. when it comes to especially managing your investments, and you have, if you have taxable investments, you want people advisors who are tax aware and aren't going to make stupid moves with your investments, like like trading your your, your account a whole bunch. Uh, creating all sorts of capital gains, um, you want to make sure that at least your advisor is tax aware. And ultimately, the reason why you want to talk to a professional accountant, it's not, maybe they're not that much smarter than us, but they they deal with this all the time. And this this kind of gets back to one thing we talked about earlier, that gray area around capital, uh, superficial capital losses. I, I kind of sort of, I guess, mused <laughs> that potentially there is a superficial capital loss if you sell one S&P 500 ETF uh, and then buy another S&P 500 ETF. A tax accountant knows whether it is or not because they deal with it regularly. So they will know if they've had clients who, who ran into difficulties when they filed their taxes doing this. Mm-hmm. We only are looking at the tax code and kind of using our interpretation and just giving you things to think about and watch out for. I'm not going to tell you. I'm definitely not going to tell you. You can definitely sell that S&P 500 ETF the Vanguard one and buy the iShares one and you'll be fine. I'm not going to tell you that because I don't know. A tax accountant, maybe they know if that always works or if it doesn't. So again, that's why well, what we to, can uh, say is that instead of buying the exact same S&P 500 index, like we said, is that go buy the MSCI World Index, for example. You're going to get pretty exactly. much Exactly. Right? I, I don't, we have I don't right, know why we, people yeah. <laughs> I don't know why people want to buy the S&P 500 ETF anyways. You want to buy the total market always. 3,000 stocks is better than 500. <laughs> but that's, that's a conversation for another day, I think. Um, that's right. So any any other sort of like as we approach December uh, and the end of the year, um, any other particular end of year um, strategies or, or things to consider or refresh ourselves in? You know, this is something that some might find unorthodox, but I find is useful when looking at the very long term picture with uh, with a lot of clients. And that's what I do with my financial plans. Look at their their cash flow over many years. But sometimes you actually want to create taxable income in a year. So you know a lot of you know a lot of younger clients. Obviously, you? if they're Marcus is saying we want <laughs> you want to have more income in taxable income. Whoa, and please. It, everyone's different. That's the thing. Everyone's situation is different. This is why I always um, I always complain about rules of thumb and all that nonsense. Um, you know, your if your situation is that you're still working and earning income in the highest marginal tax bracket, you pretty much most in most cases want to defer as much income as possible into future years if you have that ability. But if you're retired 
and have a certain level of income. Maybe your level of income is well below the cutoff for the lowest marginal tax rates and well below where, where your old age security gets clawed back, starts to get clawed back. And if you, do, if you look at your overall financial plan and you know that if you don't draw a little bit more than the minimum out of your RIF before the end of the year, you know that money's going to be taxed at a much higher rate if you die at age 90 and, and it's mm. all still left in your RIF. Mm-hmm. Then mm-hmm. something to look at at this time of year is look at your financial plan, look at your, your, tax, your taxable cash flows. Maybe it's worth considering drawing a bit more out of your RIF and paying the tax on it. Maybe it's worth considering selling that stock you've held forever that has a big capital gain and pay the tax on that capital gain. Because if you don't, it's just going to be paid by your state and uh, or paid by, well, I guess you're in your final tax tax uh, gear. Mm-hmm. And it, it could be at a higher rate if there's a whole mm-hmm. bunch of taxable income all at once, which mm-hmm. is often mm-hmm. the case in your, in your final year. So yeah. that type of stuff is worth looking at planning. And again, I would always, you know, defer to the, uh, to your tax accountant for the final decision on that, but we can look at, we can look at it. We can map it out in a financial plan. What is, you know, what does that income look like? And what mm-hmm. if, what if we don't do that? Is there a, this is the really awesome thing about our financial planning software. Right? We can look at, I can just put it into the scenario. Take, take $20,000 out of RSP or, t- or out of RIF. And, and then we look at the long term and we can show this is what the estate looks like now. This is what your mm-hmm. net worth looks like over time and, and so on and so on. Excellent. Nope. It, it sounds counterintuitive in some senses, but in, the, in certain situations, mm-hmm. it, it's completely logical for sure. Which is why everybody is so, you know, idiosyncratic. Everyone's unique and everyone's got uh, a unique situation, right? And which is why it, it's worth having uh, those uh, in-depth personal conversations uh, and engagement and to be able to recognize that. Well, Justin, it is uh, halfway through the second period of the hockey game and the Oilers are 4 nothing. Can you believe that? <laughs> I don't know. Is it too cynical to say there's still half a game left that things can change? But <laughs> I don't know, Spike. four nothing, uh, and lots of points by Connor McDavid. He's got uh, one, two, three assists. Okay, let's um, let's let's shots. have him over more games as opposed to all in one game, right? <laughs> as you said, let's distribute that that income, those points, right, over in multiple games as opposed to all in one, one year. Exactly, or one that game. is that is exactly the same way to look at it when it comes to your income levels. You know, yeah. What was the point if if we end up winning this eight nothing? It's still two I, I points. That, but it's still, <laughs> it's two, still points. two points. Yeah. If we pushed three of those goals into last uh, the last game against Carolina, they might have won yeah. that game. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shots on goal are twenty-eight to twelve for the Oilers. So um, Skinner still has a chance to mess this up for us. We'll see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. There's a dose, dose of realism there, right? So. Yeah, uh, that's hard to be optimistic this year, but uh, should we leave it there? We'll leave it there. Good luck and enjoy the rest of your uh, um, Black Friday Cyber Monday shopping. Well, uh, I'm going to go to the break room and watch this game now. We'll see if they lose once I start watching it. Jinx it. All right. Have fun. <laughs> Any views discussed in this podcast are those of the presenters or any guests and not necessarily those of Canaccord Genuity Corp. Statements expressed herein are not intended to provide tax, legal, or financial advice, and under no circumstances should be construed as a solicitation to act as a securities broker or dealer in any jurisdiction. All views expressed are intended for general circulation only and do not have any regard to the specific investments, objectives, financial circumstances, or general needs of any individual, organization, or institution. Investing in equities is not guaranteed, values change frequently, and past performance is not an indicator of future performance. Investors cannot invest directly in an index. Index returns do not reflect any fees, expenses, or sales charges. Please do not hesitate to contact us should you want to know more about anything discussed in this podcast. CG Wealth Management is a division of Canaccord Genuity Corp., member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Canadian Investment Regulatory Organization.